Welcome to the Brody Sattva Podcast. I'm Enoch Daniel. Like a lot of men of a certain age, my good friend Sosh and I have felt a sense of dissatisfaction. We're settled and successful, but we also have our struggles and personal demons. For the past couple of years, we've been on a journey to become better men. By that, I mean better husbands, better fathers, better human beings, just better at this thing called life. And now we've decided to share that journey with you and invite you along for the ride. We'll be speaking with each other, as well as others, with wisdom to share, and hopefully some of you. We're here to ask the important questions, such as, how can we be better men and still tell dick jokes? And what can a couple of bros learn about the path to enlightenment anyway? Let's find out and become better together. Get jacked on mindfulness, philosophy, mental health, and connection, starting right now. Hey bros, you may or may not be aware that May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And in honor of that, we are so excited to have on the show this week, Frank King, the mental health comedian. Now Frank has been in comedy and showbiz for decades. He was a writer for The Tonight Show for 20 years. He's been a five-time TEDx speaker with a sixth on the way. He's a very funny man who has found his why, his purpose, in sharing in a very hilarious fashion about his own struggles with depression and suicidality. This conversation was a blast. Sosh and I tend to think that we're very funny, and Frank very handily put us in our place. We have a lot of fun, but this is a serious topic. As someone who has struggled with depression and suicidality, I do want to make a point to mention, if you are struggling or you know someone is struggling or even if you wonder if someone close to you is struggling, reach out. There's help to be had. Things can't get better. Some sobering statistics... In 2019, which is the last year we have official statistics, 12 million Americans thought about suicide. Three and a half million made a specific plan. 1.4 million actually attempted, with over 47,000 people succeeding. That makes it the 10th leading cause of death. And one death every 11 minutes. That means in the time it takes you to listen to this podcast, seven people killed themselves. And the heartbreaking thing is that there's help to be had. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available 24 hours a day. The number is 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-TALK. You can even text if talking to someone seems too hard. We'll make sure and include that in the show notes as well. And uh, without further ado, let's get into the conversation. If I do leave the suicide note, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna blame it all on him, and only he will know that that's not the case. That's right, and that's, that's like, a, 
like a deathbed confession. He's right. Gonna, it, he's going to stick it to me one last time. One make sure everybody thinks it was my fault. <laughs> Enoch had just been a little less perfect. Thanks, thanks buddy. So thanks thanks a lot. Here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fuck you too, buddy. <laughs> I don't think that's in the Old Testament. <laughs> no, no. Well, probably. Just, you know. Yeah, well, it. only one of us got invited to walk with God. Man, I'm just doing my best here. Yeah. <laughs> So Frank King, thank you so much for uh, agreeing to be on the Brody Sattva podcast. We're so excited well, to have you here today. Part of yes, a big bargain. Is jail or this? <laughs> I think you made the right choice. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, Give we'll it some see. time. Jury's still out. We got a little time. And, I, and you guys know I am suicidal, and so I am going to blame it on him. And right? Nick, yeah. Oh, God, going, Who the hell is that? I'm racking yeah. up my body count. Oh, Jesus. Oh, that's the guy that walked with God. He was perfect. Yeah. He'd have been involved. <laughs> Not that guy. <laughs> so tell us about how did you become the mental health comedian? Uh, well, I uh, started comedy in fourth grade, told my first joke. Kids laughed. Teacher was hysterical. And I thought, you know, I, I think I'm going to be a comedian. Twelfth um, grade, they had a talent show. No, I'd ever done stand-up before. It was 1975. And I did stand-up. One, told my mother I was going to be a stand-up comedian. And she said, son, you're going to college first. <laughs> I don't care what you do when you get done. You can be a goat herder for all I care. But you, my son, are going to be a goat herder with a college degree. Seems like a sensible woman. <laughs> yeah, well, education is a big deal in my family, everybody. And my dad had died very young. And so back then, believe it or not, the Social Security death benefits... Oh, pretty much paid for my college, which would never, oh, wow. I mean, it's yeah. a pittance now comparatively. So I went to Carolina. I got a couple of degrees, uh, one in poli sci, one in labor management relations, two classes away. I should have gone to summer school after my senior year, two classes away from a degree in economics. Uh, and then married my high school sweetheart, who's also my college sweetheart. We moved to San Diego. Um, we should never gotten married. We had nothing in common, which you know what you say, opposite to track. She was pregnant. I wasn't. And so, uh, yeah. And that one gets funnier every time I hear it. Thank you. Thank like you. most jokes don't, don't play well again and again and again. That's not true with that one. That's not true. And you know what? I bought that joke for 25 cents. There's a comic named uh, Brett. Brett but yeah, Brett Butler. Yep. No um, way. Yeah. yeah, well, an attorney friend of hers was standing there. We're chatting in the lobby at the comedy club in, in Atlanta. Not the punchline, but the other one. Comedy Cafe, I think. And he told that joke. And I said, did you write that? He goes, yeah. I go, I'd love to have it. He goes, give me a quarter. <laughs> Done. <laughs> the best 25 cents I ever spent. Um, yeah, so the my fourth TEDx talk. I have six, by the way. I'm getting ready to do my sixth one in June. Very nice. Um, the, it was called Suicide, the Secret of My Success, Dead Man Talking. And the, the premise is that I'm married to this woman who's lovely, but we just didn't belong together. And I'm selling insurance, which is what she wanted me to do. And I was not going to the comedy store. There happens to be a branch in San Diego of the world famous comedy store. Mm -hmm. I wasn't doing open mic nights. And, and I was depressed and suicidal because that runs in my family. It's called generational depression and suicide. My grandmother died by suicide. My great aunt died by suicide, my mother. And so I was depressed and suicidal. I thought, you know what? If I don't change something, I'm going to kill myself sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. My second thought was terribly empowering. I thought, wait a minute. 
I can divorce my wife, quit my job. I can try comedy if it works out great. If it doesn't hell, I can still kill myself. So, yeah. So it's a nice reframing. (laughs) Yeah. And I thought I was the only one ever thought that way. And I've met a half a dozen entrepreneurs and entertainers who had the very same thought process. They're, you know, living a life that they don't think they belong in. They got a dream and they, they live with mental illness and they come to that juncture like, well, what the heck? Why don't I give it a shot? Mm-hmm. You know, and if it doesn't work out and everybody I've ever met, obviously it worked out for them. I wouldn't have heard it. <laughs> Otherwise you wouldn't have heard the story. <laughs> yeah. And the thing about it is if uh, the advantage I had over neurotypical people is if somebody in that situation, miserable at work, miserable marriage, has a dream, not pursuing it, they could divorce their wife or husband, quit their job and try it. And if it didn't work out they're like oh man i would lose everything but i had nothing to lose i was going to kill myself if i stayed put so that was the premise of my my fourth tedx talk was and i'm telling you the i have something called chronic suicidal ideation you guys Mm -hmm. know yeah and and this is something i had never heard of until i heard you talk about it in another interview and i you know i'm a physician this is something i've just never have come across that term no i've had clinicians stare at me like like kim kardashian at the new york times crossword puzzle when i mentioned it Mm -hmm. Um, it means that for me and people in my tribe suicide is always on the menu as a solution it's coping mechanism for problems large and small Mm -hmm. and then you heard me say this before my car broke down i had three thoughts unbidden get it fixed buy a new one i could just kill myself the upside (laughs) of that is every time i've spoken since 2014 there's been at least one person in the audience sometimes more who have that (laughs) don't know it has a name like I didn't know it had a name. Yeah, they're just some kind of freak. Like I thought I was some kind of freak, and completely alone. That's always a fantastic life. feeling to meet somebody and and hear a story like that and think, oh my god, I'm not the only one. A young woman came up after a college show and said, "Thank you for your keynote." I said, "You're welcome." She goes, "But I gotta tell you, it made me weep." Weep. She goes, "Yeah, you know your story about your car, get it fixed by a new and kill yourself." She goes, "I've been having those thoughts all my life." I, I I didn't know it had a name. I, I just thought it was some kind of freak. And I heard you say that out loud and for the, realized for the first time in my life, I'm not entirely alone. And I wept. Yeah. Uh, that That's what, you know, that's that's my why uh, is because it happens over. And what, what happened? And one evening I was in Billings, Montana. after speaking at a college, waiting for the kid to come back, pick me up, take me to the hotel. It's dusk. I can hear a river in the distance. It's starting to snow. And it hit me. Oh my God, I'm like George Bailey and it's a wonderful life. <laughs> I've been seeing how these people's lives would turn out if I weren't here to let them know they weren't alone. My mm-hmm. second thought was, oh great, now I can't kill myself. Because <laughs> I would take all those people with me. <laughs> well, uh, crap. Yeah. And my <laughs> third thought being a comic was, and then they'd pursue me through eternity. You couldn't wait a couple of weeks to off yourself? <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, it's interesting. Comedy, <laughs> comedy is an interesting fit for somebody who has lifelong depression and suicidality just because I, I mean, any interest I have in being a comedian is completely squashed by the idea that I do not have the skin thick enough to put myself out there and do that job. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Uh, we have a, a podcast called the suicide prevention punchline because so many comics kill themselves. Hmm. Um, the, I believe my third TEDx talk, listen to me dropping the TEDx talk. Um, <laughs> it's all right. Self-promotion is beautiful. <laughs> it, it starts off like this. What if those of us living with mental illness are not living with a genetic mutation, but an amazing evolutionary adaptation? 
And I believe my comic ability, creativity, you know, imagination, uh, lightning fast heckler responses are simply the flip side of my depression thoughts of suicide. Because I can teach you to write stand up, I can teach you to do stand up. Mm. I cannot teach you to process the information the way I do. Mm. I mean, especially when it comes to hecklers. I don't know. Is this a, a PG thirteen show or a, a... It, it's a, it's a yeah? Great... Watch your fucking language. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was working a cruise ship and a woman had seen my clean show and she came up to me afterwards. She goes, listen, I've got a 13 year old son. Is your, is your late night show, you know, appropriate for him? And I said, how the fuck should I know? Uh, <laughs> boom. 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 Oh yeah. It gets worse. I'm on stage. Carnival has a comedy club on every ship uh-huh. and they have a family show and a late night show. And, and the late night show, the people come looking for a verbal fist fight. I've got comic friends who will not do the like San Pedro down to the Mexican Riviera and back. Yeah. Because it is just brutal. So <laughs> I pick up the microphone like this. And before I've even said anything, guy in the front row screams, top of his lungs, you suck. <laughs> well, you can't nice. let that go. Yeah. No. So I no. waited a beat and I said, yeah, you fucking swallow. And <laughs> standing ovation the first 45 seconds, guys coming high fiving me. Uh, you're killing it <laughs> and and i could do no wrong after that but i believe because because people ask me how did you how did you think that up that fast and the answer is i didn't think it yeah. i didn't even hear it until you heard it yeah i had no yeah. idea it was coming out it was just it a direct line my, reflex yeah a woman on the way out of a club one night turns to me and goes fuck you and i said to her not even for practice <laughs> Again, standing ovation uh, <laughs> I believe that's all part and parcel of the way my my brain is wired. The best comedy students, there's a program called StandUpForMentalHealth.com. Mm -hmm. And it's classes for people with mental illness taught by people with mental illness. You have to have a diagnosis to get in, a diagnosis to teach it. Huh. And those were the best students I ever, the stuff that came out of their mouths. I mean, most comics, when they write a joke, it's like a page. You have to redact three-fourths of it. These kids, at the beginning of the class, they go, what do you got for me this week? And I, what do you, what do you got, Tricia? She goes, my boyfriend said he wants to break up with me. Or why do you want to break up with you? And she goes, because he wants to see other people. And I said, what did you say to him? I'm bipolar. Give me a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and that's the way she wrote it. You know, uh, there's a woman named Camille who had a horrible backstory. Her dad started selling her into white slavery when she was eight. Oh, Jesus. I mean, yeah, she was, yeah, just, I mean, the mental illness. But anyway, I said, Camille, what do you got for me? She goes, well, I went to see my psychiatrist. Yeah. He asked me if I was depressed. I said, yeah. Did I have uh, thoughts of suicide? Yes. He asked if I had a plan. I said, I got five plans. He said, five plans? I said, yeah. You want to hear them all or just the ones that involve you? <laughs> <laughs> that's the way she came out of her head ouch there's not a <laughs> syllable there that doesn't move the narrative for it's brilliant yeah, uh, let me say stuff the other day i was i said the other day a year or so ago i had done two three-hour suicide prevention continuing education programs back to back i was exhausted uh -huh. when i get exhausted the editor in my head goes to sleep <laughs> and i get in the uber with this nice kid and her eyes lock in the mirror. And sometimes as a mentally ill person, when somebody asks, how am I doing? I'm going to fucking tell him. So he goes, hey, man, how you doing? I said, I'm depressed and suicidal. How about you? 
And he goes, uh, what am I supposed to say to that? I said, do you really want to know? He goes, yeah. I said, you're supposed to ask if I have a plan. So he goes, uh, you got a plan? Pause. Then he goes, does it involve Uber? <laughs> <laughs> Poor kid. I know. My How long did you leave him hanging? I, <laughs> so, I believe that's all part and parcel of the, you know, the mental, because I'll tell you, the reason I did the, the TEDx mental with benefits is everybody I've ever met who is mentally ill, who's not completely dysfunctional, mm-hmm. has some kind of superpower, you know, good writers and comics and singers and whatever. Hmm. And I thought this can't be a coincidence. And if you look at the laundry list of celebrities and politicians and famous people and rich people who have mental illness, it's just, you know, it's long as your arm. Yeah. And so I, I yeah, I think it's just, it's, Mental illness, I believe, is actually a combination of mental illness and mental ableness. And the point of the talk was to convince children, look, yeah, you got a mental illness, but here's what the adults never tell you. You have some mental ableness your peers can't touch. Sure. Uh, And what kid didn't want to feel special so you could reduce stigma and bullying, eventually suicide? Sure. There's a guy I met at one of those three-hour CEs. And we took a break and he goes, yeah, my son has, he's on the spectrum, autism. I said, well, just out of curiosity, does he have any special abilities? He goes, oh my God, the kid's mm-hmm. an amazing athlete. I mean, he's wow. six years old. We've joined a swim club. Within two weeks, he taught himself to swim the Australian crawl and breathe on both sides. I've taught myself that, but it took me 30 days of swimming to teach myself that. <laughs> I said, well, how's he on land? He goes, he's lightning fast. He said, we're at Special Olympics. It's a hundred yard dash. So yeah. his name was Mason. Mason and all the other kids lined up for the hundred yard dash. Gun goes off. Well, they're, all the other kids take off running. Mason has no idea why somebody shot a gun. He's standing. <laughs> looking around. Yeah, because <laughs> I felt like I was in um, Forrest Gump. Run, Mason, run. Mason goes, oh, run. And catches the kids who have a 20 yard head start and beats them by 20 yards. Wow. I mean, that, that's the kind of, I said, listen, I don't know if you are encouraging him, but you, whatever he wants to do athletically, you need to wrap your arms around that. Sure. and just let him go because i said here's the deal you know when you're a kid being picked first or last for sandlot football makes a difference later in life you know the kids are picked last always seem to you know it's gonna it's gonna impact i can just hear in my head them picking up teams and who should our first pick be pick mason the weird kid okay trust me. <laughs> yeah right yeah the kid's lightning fast got hands like glue on them and so but he's you know, over there eating glue. Yeah, <laughs> oh, he's going to be the yeah. ringer. Kid's going to be the changes, ringer all his life. <laughs> it changes the frame for everybody. Yeah. And so, uh, anyway, that's a long answer to a very short question. Sorry. No, I think that's that's really interesting. That's I saw. I also saw Sosha there scribbling down your 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 comedy school advice. I think I think he's had a lifelong yeah. dream to do stand up, and now thinks that he, he may be able to use his superpower to succeed. Sosh. Yes, sir. Uh, piece of advice on stand up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Judy Carter, do you know? No. Judy Carter, the comedy Bible. The comedy Bible. Okay. Yes. Uh, Enoch is mentioned several times. Um, oh, there. Mm. The, uh, <laughs> he always fucking gets in my shit. Mm. Anyway. Make sure you buy the, the latest edition. I think it was published in October. And it is ju- it's, it's basically a fill in the blank. She teaches you, she starts, it's almost like the, you know, the old joke about uh, when you're teaching kids about football, this is a football. That's mm-hmm. kind of where it starts. And <clears throat> she walks you through the process of determining what the, we know, a good premise. And then, well, there are four questions you ask yourself about the premise. 
what's weird, hard, stupid, or crazy about this premise. And that's where you find the punchline. You know, for example, she had us do a brain dump, just one page, like chronologically from the first memory. Just tell us what, you know, and I grew up in a neighborhood with 11 girls, me and 11 girls. And so I didn't even know Little League Baseball existed because we, you know, nobody played baseball. We all played horses. <laughs> and the, the, yeah, the, uh, and the problem with that is, you know, you get to junior high school, there's no equestrian team. Wow. And me and 11 girls, when it came time to play doctor, it was more like playing HMO because there's always a fucking line. <laughs> <laughs> Next. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm still a freelance gynecologist, but, mm-hmm. uh, but that's the kind of thing where she takes your, your life and then shows you how to find the funny uh, based on the premise as step by step by step by step, help you create your first five minutes. And then, you know, that's awesome. That is cool. I do love, I wonder if maybe part of your own superpower is ability to reframe. I, uh, that, that, what you just said was another amazing reframing of taking mental illness and also calling it a superpower. Cause I think as somebody who struggles with depression, it can feel like a life sentence. You're like, you know, you think about, as you say, I'm going to push that rock up that hill every day for the rest of my fucking life. Yeah. And it just gets tiring. It um, it's nice to think of it in a little bit different terms. Like, yeah, but there are some benefits to having a brain that works this way. Well, yeah. let me, let me get my, my sixth Ted talk coming up in June is actually right. called depressive realism. Maybe the glass really is half empty. <laughs> and there is some science, not a lot yet, but some that people with depression see the world more accurately <laughs> than neurotypicals who may be looking through rose tinted glasses at the world they, they wish it work. <laughs> and so again, the idea being to reframe depression from simply a disability to also an ability. <laughs> My friend is a Jewish, not, I have more than one Jewish friend, but um, <laughs> my one no, Jewish friend. <laughs> I really only have one. I'm trying to work on another one. We actually interviewed him and uh, it's not going so well so far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to lose a shirt with the lightning bolts on it. And um, uh, <laughs> yeah, those squiggly those are weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, um, he says it's, it's like his Jewish grandmother. If you have an idea, his Jewish grandmother can tell you everything that could possibly go wrong. Mm. Oh, good idea, Mr. Smarty Paints. <laughs> tell you why that's not going to work. <laughs> and just chapter and verse. And so, uh-huh. you know, there should be somebody on the corporate board going, oh, oh no. Because everybody else gets excited about the idea. Can't yeah. see the downside. Sure, it's going to. Yeah, sure. Here's, here's, I don't know if Curtis LeMay, the general in in vietnam who you know garbage bombed the uh, subcontinent there but mm-hmm. he was sitting in this is the kind of thing i think would happen with somebody who's depressed he sat in on the meeting where they were getting ready to do the bay of pigs invasion <laughs> and so several hours everybody's talking about the planes and the army and the boats and whatever and so they realized that curtis hadn't said a word for two hours so he turned mm-hmm. to lemay and he's sitting there like this they go curtis what do you think he goes famously, it's not gonna fucking work. And leaves. And of course, <laughs> it didn't fucking work. <laughs> so I wonder if he had depression, just saw the whole thing, you know, very in reality. 
What if, yeah. what if he'd stuck around and explained his reasoning? Yeah, <laughs> they wouldn't have listened. It's not going to work. I think the, yeah, he probably was like, yeah, I could just waste my breath on these guys. They, yeah. They're going to do this. It's going to suck. And uh, I'm only part of suck. it. Yeah, it's going to, yeah. Anyway, that's... <laughs> so, yeah, I, and here's the um, chronic suicidal ideation. Because I could kill myself at any moment, um, Mm -hmm. Suicide's often about pain, most often about pain. I want to dive as any of the pain because I know mm -hmm. I can end it at any moment. It allows me to go on and stand a great deal of pain knowing I'm in control. I'm mm -hmm. sitting in the exit row at the window seat in the airplane and if things are too fucking bad. Um, and here's mm -hmm. how it works in real life. We had a wildfire last September. Oh, wow. I'm downtown 25 minutes away. You know, I live in Oregon and uh, the West Coast was ravaged by wildfires again last summer. But Oregon, it's the first time it had burned this much in Oregon. Power lines went down. Um, it was burning, you know, it was probably over 100,000 acres by this point coming our way, but still a little ways off. So I go downtown for a cardiology appointment because um, I've had two aortic valve replacements, a double bypass, a heart attack, and three stents. Oof. And, you know, and my annual cardio is pretty important. So I figure I go downtown because we're at level one, which is get ready. So we've already moved the dogs to a, a place at Kennel's Dogs mm. in case. So I'm downtown thinking, well, I'll, I easily get downtown 15 minutes, you know, doctor's 15 minutes and be back in plenty of time. Even if it goes to level two, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. Well, it jumped a fire line and went to level three, skipped over level two. And oh, the geez. alert I got on my iPhone said it's 1.25 miles from your house. And it's a wildfire. Yeah. Well, that level three means get the fuck out. Don't look back. Don't grab anything. Just drive. Because the yeah. fire catches people in cars. Yeah. So, well, the problem is we have 11 rescue cats. Oh, my God. I know. You start rescuing cats. People find out. Will you come over my house, bring the live trap, get the cat on my... <laughs> it's funny because all, all I thought... We just, got a, we just got a rescue cat from the lady, a lady who rescues cats. And I swear to God, I didn't think we were going to get out of the house with the cat. Like, she just... She had to hug and talk to the cat for about 20 minutes before we could walk out the door. I think at some point we kind of had to pry it out of her arms. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Last time <laughs> we got, uh, the woman put in the carrier and she was weeping when I left. Um, so I, <laughs> I, send her, I take pictures and send them to her every week. That's great. Uh, you know, so sorry. Anyway, I didn't mean to run up your story. Go ahead. So um, we're like the Marine Corps when it comes to animals. We're not leaving anybody fucking behind. So, and I could not live with myself if they died in the fire and I had thought I might have had a chance to get them. So sure. picture this, everybody else is hauling ass west out of the neighborhood. I'm driving in east. I'm coming in. The fire's <laughs> a mile and a quarter away. Smoke's getting thicker and thicker. You know, it's almost like dusk. Wow. And um, I get to the house and we have carriers, but I have a whole new respect for the term herding cats because I'd shove one in to jump out. Yeah. Um, but I got all 11 in. And a friend of mine goes, well, you could have, you know, died. I go, well, I've been trying to kill myself for 40 years, you know, uh, <laughs> and, and I'm suicidal. So, you know, <laughs> and he goes, you could have burned up. I go, no, I have a handgun. If the, if the flames are licking my toes, I'm not burning a lot. I'm not going out like that. <laughs> no, not at all. And so I got the cats in the car and, and we got them all to the, you know, the cat rescue where they spent two weeks, uh, so we got a call from an attorney who's suing the power company because they didn't turn the grid off fast enough. Yeah. That's why it got as far as it did. And he goes, um, he goes, I said, do you have any mental issues with the fire? I said, well, um, 
I have a video because I shot a video on the way out of the neighborhood saying goodbye to everybody, my wife, my sister, a couple of friends. You can hear the cats me out in the background. I'm crying. I'm not oh sure I'm going to get out of the neighborhood alive. Yeah. Goes, You've got a fucking video of you after your first kid. Then he goes, did the, you know, have you had any mental issues, since, you know, since because of the fire? I go, dude, I'm depressed and suicidal on a good day. <laughs> I said, I'm so traumatized by the fire and the smoke, whatever. I said, if I eat smoked salmon, I have flashbacks. Uh, because you're going to be an amazing plaintiff in court. <laughs> you're like a, a, a Kramer to his uh, Jackie Childs. Exactly. <laughs> you know. Uh, I told you to say that. I didn't tell you to say that. You'll just cut a deal and become the next Marlboro man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Um, PG and E spokesman right here. <laughs> Yeah, the dog survived, the cat survived, the house survived, Good. Um, smoke Good damage. Job. But here's something you guys should know. Homeowners insurance, I knew this, covers smoke damage. And they have sent out service master and those guys. And the total came out to just under 40 grand to clean the house. Wow. So I said to State Farm, look, I can buy a shit ton of Lysol or um, Pine Sol or whatever and mops and buckets for 40 grand. Send me a check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> and we, but we banked the 40 grand because you yeah, know, we're in the middle of a pandemic and I'm not getting any work. And so, right? as they tell people this, but you know, the whole pandemic thing worked out pretty well for us when you throw in the wildfire. Um, <laughs> it all yeah, comes it was, out in the wash. <laughs> oh, and, he's even Steven. <laughs> the last, last, this past February, I got a call from a speakers bureau. They had a, a gig in Florida, an association gig. Mm -hmm. They need a keynote speaker. Well, Florida still has no statewide mask mandate and sure. we're in the middle of a pandemic. And so the guy says to me, uh, would you, would you uh, fly to Florida with no mask mandate in the middle of a pandemic? I go, dude, I'm suicidal. What do I care? <laughs> yeah. I got the booking. <laughs> Nobody else would go. go. Nobody yeah, else would go. Were. Sure. <laughs> so, so it is a bit of a superpower. Uh, <laughs> uh, do you guys know this? I came back from Cambodia last February 16th and became an international pariah. Do you know that? No. Oh, man. Um, yeah, type into your, uh, if you have a browser window open, type in Frank King, comedian, quarantine. Oh, God. And you'll be amazed. I think the first, the first entry is from Time Magazine. <laughs> it tells you anything. That's nice. <laughs> I'm in Cambodia. There are two ships in the Western Pacific there. The Diamond Princess, which was ravaged by the virus because they allowed people on the boat who'd been in mainland China within the last two weeks. Our okay. ship, we said, look, if you've been in mainland China, you're not coming on. So nobody sure. on our ship ever got the virus. But because the ships are so close together in the same part of the world. So when my contract was up, I had some more gigs back here. And and Holland America wasn't, you know, they weren't, I had no idea when they're going to send me home. If I knew then what I know now by Zoom, I would have just stayed in the hotel and waited for Holland America to bring me back. But I didn't. Sure. And so I, I asked the CDC guy when I got my test that morning on the 16th, is it okay if I go home? And he goes, well, have you been to mainland China? No. Do you have any symptoms? No. He goes, get out of here. So I flew back and then I, in Seattle, they have a CDC office. So I had to go through there. They take your temperature, ask you the questions. And they said, look, Frank, here's the deal. Because at that moment, there was an 85-year-old woman in Kuala Lumpur who had been on my ship that they thought had the virus. Turned out she mm. did. But she spiked a fever. They said, look, you're welcome to go back into the U.S., no restrictions, because if, unless you were within six feet of that woman for 15 minutes, mm -hmm. then 
you're not going to catch the virus. And I said to them, okay, let me get this straight. You mean if I didn't bang the old bat, I'm good. <laughs> and they're on the floor. <laughs> and you're well, like, you're like, well, we got a problem, boys. Yeah, so <laughs> somebody, had, somebody had tipped the um, press that I was coming back from that part of the world, Ground Zero of the oh, pandemic. I'm, look, I'm looking at this headline here. Yeah. U.S. man says he flouted requests to remain in Cambodia. <laughs> We were never quarantined. I See, I played it up like I had jumped quarantine because I thought it was just, you know, funny and a lark. I had no idea how bad things were. Wow. You know, yeah. yeah. So, I, and I made the mistake of speaking to the press and I told all of them, you know, I was never quarantined. The hotel was never quarantined. Nobody on the ship ever caught it. You know, the woman turned out she didn't have it. But but every every article, I mean, Time Magazine, the, the, the Daily Mail in London, the Independent of London, uh, mm-hmm. the New York Post, on and on and on. So all of them said, comedian jumps quarantine. So I come back, my neighbors are, you know, on next door telling my wife, keep me in the house. I'll bring meals over. Don't let, don't let me leave the house. And I get a phone call from a guy. You came back this county to kill everybody. I go, no, I got a list and you just made the VIP section. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Give me some sugar. Yeah, and I, I got, a, that, I got a death threat. A guy called me and he said, uh, I know where you work out. And I know when you work out, I'm coming to kill you. I said, well, um, I've been trying to do that for 40 years. Good fucking luck. And, um, <laughs> it's not as easy as you think. <laughs> no, I said, I said, listen to me. Um, I said, uh, I don't want to die, but I got news for you. The way I'm wired, I'm not scared of it. So just make sure you, you enter that into your calculations before you arrive at the gym. Do you really want to take on a guy with absolutely nothing to lose? Mm. And he didn't show up, as you might imagine. He didn't <laughs> For about two weeks, I was an international pariah because everybody thought I came back dragging the virus. And, uh, you know, of course, then everything moves on. And, you know, we get oh, bored yeah, with yeah. that story, move to the next one. Well, what happened mm-hmm. was two weeks later, the pandemic full blown. And that's what took me off page one Google. Thank yeah. God. God. But yeah. I was no. right there at ground zero. Were you, you were proving that not all publicity is good publicity? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I had to change your home phone number. Good he activated wow. three social media accounts for a couple of weeks because the trolls came after me. I, oh my God, I, I'm sure. I didn't understand this whole cyber bullying thing because I'm 65 or four. Right. You know, when I was a kid, you got bullied. You know, they snapped a towel in the locker room, very up close and personal. Yeah. How can you bully somebody? Oh, dear God. And I will never meet any of those people, I'm sure. Sure. But if, if you're a teenager and you're in school, the people that are coming after you are the other people in school. I mean, I'm not sure yeah. I could mentally handle yeah, it used to be you could come home to your safe space away from all those assholes. And now you like they just follow you home in the palm of your hand. It's terrible. Yeah, you, they, the bullies in your pocket when you get home. I, I remember when I was in junior high school, Michael Kuntz said to me, meet me on the field after school. I'm going to kick your ass. And I said, oh, I'll be there. Um, I got on the school bus and went home. I'm not... <laughs> <laughs> See you there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, when I was working the bars doing comedy, I never understood that. I, Come outside, I'm going to kick your ass. I'll be right there. And then out the back door in my car. Just wait for me. I'm going to show up. (laughs) Promise. Why would I ever? The guy's got to pay another cover fee just to try it again. You just gave me an out, dumbass. There is is an advantage to be, obviously, there is an advantage to be being suicidal. I mean, I drove back into a wildfire, risk being burned alive to rescue the cats. 
what be- I mean, what better way to go than doing something spectacular? Why why do you drive back in the wildfire to rescue the kitties? <laughs> <laughs> he died rescuing those kitty cats. Yeah, I mean that if you're gonna, it's like suicide. Um, you know, don't jump off a bridge into traffic and ruin somebody else's life. You know yeah, what I mean? Sure. Yeah. I said, if you want to do it, okay, here's an idea. Get a bomb vest and and then find just some raging asshole that deserves to be killed and then wrap your arms around him <laughs> and then pull the thing and, you know, do the world a favor. Uh, Leave it better than you found it, yeah. Yeah, a little dark. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No. So if I had a question about suicidality, and I guess you know one of your one of your famous lines is, "You know what the barrel of your gun tastes like." That is correct. It is a it's a two part question. <laughs> Number one, uh, what is it? What does it taste like? <laughs> uh, gun oil. Because <laughs> you know, I it got me curious, but not curious enough to take a taste myself. Um, yeah. Oops. And I guess the second part of my question was, and you sort of answered it just a while ago, is, you know, I I don't own a handgun. And one of the reasons is I've experienced some suicidal ideation in the past, and I don't want that something that easy and quick around. But it sounds yeah. like you still do own a handgun. Oh, yeah. Um, we, where we live is about 25 minutes outside of town. Mm-hmm um up the mckenzie river in oregon up from eugene and i walk the dogs every morning often in the dark mm. and so i've got bear spray on my belt you know non-lethal obviously uh, sure. uh, but i also have a um colt uh, 380 pocket light loaded with hydroshock hollow points mm. because there are bear and cougar and and you know and there's a lot of meth in oregon yeah um so then they need water and you need to be next to a creek. So there could be guys in the woods cooking. Oh, geez. Yeah. And so the questions come up in the past. Is, Look, if I was that bad, if I thought I was going to kill myself, uh, my neighbor across the street, Randy, I would just take, my wife has a gun. I have one. I would just take both of them over there and go, look, Randy, don't give these back to me. Yeah. Until you're sure I'm okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. it's And beca- like I said, I can't kill myself now because all these people I would, you know. Yeah, you've got all these cats that are like, you know. Yeah, they depend on me. Back to in the fire for them. Well, the reason I the reason I was going to kill myself last recession was I had a million dollar life insurance policy, and we'd file bankruptcy. And I, Mm. many people who are suicidal feel something called burdensomeness. The world would be better off without me. Yeah, and so I was actually worth more to my wife dead than alive. Million bucks. She get farm back, restore herself, pay off the debts. But uh, fortunately, I the the suicide clause on my life insurance policy had not gone to twenty four months. Ouch. So I had two months to, to wait to die. But again, I, you know, I can kill myself anytime. So it's not a big deal. I just wait till, you know, give it 61 days, you know, extra yeah. days in case. But by then the bankruptcy went through, phone call stopped, you know, things got a little better. Mm-hmm. And that was 11 years ago this month. Anyway. Yeah, I'll tell you what, that, that feeling of everyone would be better off. God, that's an awful feeling. Like the, my lowest point in my depression and my, my closest I've ever come to suicide was, uh, I always say I, I contemplated suicide in the happiest place on earth because I was on a, a goddamn Disney cruise <laughs> and my kids are asleep in the cabin behind me and I'm sit- standing on the balcony uh, there's fire fireworks and a party going on on the top deck. I'm listening to that and I'm just staring out at the ocean and wondering if I could clear the deck below me and yep. wonder if I would be conscious when I hit the water or if the boat would pull me under. And like, this is all the thoughts kind of going through my head. That, that kind of thinking, by the way, is very um, common with, with um, chronic suicidal ideation. 
I'm sitting at a train, you know, a railroad crossing, the arms coming down. Mm-hmm. And I'm, train's coming. And I'm thinking now, how far would I have to back up to go through the first crossing guard, <laughs> but not the second one? Because if I go all the way through, mm-hmm. I'm still alive and I owe the railroad for both of them. <laughs> and I told that to a neuronormal friend of mine. He is just, I go, it's just a math problem, man. It's like two trains leave Chicago. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) Well, and I I remember that in that situation, like the, the, the biggest part of it was like, I felt like I was poisoned to the people around me. Yeah. Yeah. And I I thought about my kids and I thought, God, that you'd be better off without me. I had a really good insurance policy, but again, I didn't know if it, I didn't know if it covered for suicide. You know, I'm out in the middle of fucking ocean. I can't look it up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And some policies, they, you know, don't, they don't have a clause like that. They say, you kill yourself, you don't get anything. They yeah. return the premiums. Yeah, so, yeah, so it's... Uh, That's a, that was funny you said about the, the math problem. I remember when I was, when I was in school, I, I had like a really hard test and I'm crossing the street to go to some coffee shop to go study for the test. And I'm just thinking, be kind of nice if I got hit by a car. Yeah. <laughs> that is exactly... You didn't really commit suicide, you just got hit by a car. I know. Right. That, that's that's kind and of and even if I survived, I wouldn't have to take the test. Everybody would feel sorry for me. I'd get a pass. <laughs> I'd get a pass. And and, and yeah, yeah. At the um, was it? Uh, yeah, it's um, it's called passive suicidality. You know, people say, okay. "Look, I never kill myself," but I didn't wake up tomorrow morning. Or they say what you said. I, I used to think if I could just get hit by a car, mm-hmm. you know, then people wouldn't think I died by. Well, I'll tell you I, the. I was walking the dogs one morning in the woods, fully armed, and uh, uh, got about halfway up, half mile up this warehouse or logging trail and had a heart attack. Oh, I knew it was a heart attack because the uh, it presented in the same spot that the angina always presented when it had valve issues. But with the valve mm-hmm. issues, if you stop moving, it stops hurting. And this thing kept getting worse and mm-hmm. worse and worse. So, um, and I, I had my cell phone on, me, but I had mm-hmm. T-Mobile, so I didn't have service. And... <sighs> Uh, this is a bad spot, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the thing is, again, the dogs, because the where we park is uh, just off of relatively, it's a two lane road, but these logging trucks are going back and forth all the time. Mm-hmm. So I knew that if I died right there, the dogs would, you know, eventually get into the street and who knows. So I said, my goal was just to get back to the car mm-hmm. and load the dogs. If I drop dead, then that's fine. Um, and and it, and I, I realized, and I've said this in my keynotes, I could have sat down on the trail, let the heart attack run its course. Hmm. When they found me, they would never suspect that I actually just chose to die. The dogs would know that, you know. Yeah. And, the, and but I started down the hill like Frankenstein. Oh, hey, and and the dogs were very sympathetic for the first quarter mile. <laughs> yeah. The next quarter mile, they're doing rock paper scissors for my liver. <laughs> uh, people ask me what were you thinking you know do we think about your relatives you see a light did you hear voices i go you know what i'm thinking about two weeks later i'm supposed to do my first tedx on suicide prevention <laughs> i'm going down the hill and i'm crying because i'm thinking to myself you know if i could have just gotten to that tedx how many lives i could have saved and i'm weeping wow I'm, i think i'm just not gonna so okay i drive home and rather than pick up the phone because my wife's in the bathroom. I'm afraid I'll pick up the phone, dial 911 and, you know. Uh-huh. And so I yell at her, honey, 
I'm having a heart attack. Now 911. And this is what I hear. I'm in the bathroom. I got the fan on. I can't hear you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, wait. I walked a half mile, drove to it. I'm going to die in this hallway. She opens the bathroom door, takes one look at my face, which she said was whiter than the Republican Party. And... <laughs> And called 911, yeah. But I get to the hospital, and here's the thing you should know about uh, heart attack symptoms. There's no waiting at the emergency room. Oh, sure. Nobody gives a shippa about HIPAA. You, they just roll you back into your little triage unit. So I'm lying there in a great deal of pain, but I'm already writing material because, you know, <laughs> plus time equals comedy, and the longer you do comedy, I'm writing comedy in real time. The nurse goes, Frank, I know... No paperwork, but I got one question I got to ask you. I'm lying there and I go, I'm, I'm married, but baby, I love the way you think. Uh -oh. <laughs> <laughs> she goes, no, no, no. Your full name is Frank Marshall King III. What do you like to be called? Again, through the pain, Big Daddy. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so hey, this is my tribe. This is definitely my tribe. <laughs> I had a question uh, sort of about suicidality. And yeah. it, I had never experienced it until the past few years when I really started struggling or realized that I had probably had some baseline depression most of my life. And then it, it went into my full first full blown major depressive episode. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't, you wouldn't known this if, if you were around him uh, just because of the women he chose. <laughs> poor, poor choices should have made it clear. Yeah. But um I think I had this idea of suicidal ideation of, you know, you have a plan and you're deciding to kill yourself. And what I discovered for myself, it was more along the lines of, man, it just always was popping in my head. Like I just thought about it a lot. You know, and, and it just would kind of float up from nowhere, you know, just always thinking about it. Always. I don't know if, if, if your, your term of it's always a, an option on the menu yeah, or what, like, but it just kind of floats up there all the time. It's like mental music. You know, um, you go in a store and, you know, the music's always playing, but you don't really notice it unless it's a song you love or a song you hate. Hmm. Do you like pina colada? <laughs> caught in the rain. rain. I want to put a bullet or open a vein. Uh -huh. uh, yeah, no, a friend of mine described it as, you know, there's those planes that tow a banner at the stadium. Yeah. So it's just like that. You're sitting there, you know, and, and as my mother would say, apropos of nothing, all of a sudden, yeah, why don't you just fucking kill yourself? Uh, it just comes out of, you know, it's, but again, it's a coping mechanism. By the way, um, this is, this is why I survived the, uh, holy shit. Look at that guy. Yeah. That's, I'm getting ready for my second all natural bodybuilding contest. I, I, hope, I hope to go pro by the time I get to be. 65. Dude, you look so jacked. That's you look awesome. like the P90X guy. <laughs> Yo, that's I I tell you what, I, I, I have lifted weights uh, three times this year, and uh, I don't look like that. No. You, <laughs> you, hey, actually, I just like, actually I'd had enough. smaller than my 13-year-old, okay? <laughs> he just hit puberty like a few months ago, and he already puts that bird chest of yours to shit. I'm going to, that's okay. I'm going to fuck him up next time I see him. Yeah, I don't blame <laughs> Let's see him go toe-to-toe. -to -toe. I've at least got the reach on him. <laughs> Yours, Godfather. That's your responsibility, man. <laughs> That's awesome, brother. Um, yeah, I, and I, I, I think what you're saying about the the thoughts just kind of floating out of nowhere. The interesting thing, and then you've mentioned that you also do some meditation and mindfulness work. 
And uh, when yeah. you when you really get into that and realize that your thoughts aren't really you, it sort of starts to beg the question like, where the fuck is that coming from? <laughs> like, why why does that pop out of nowhere and just float across my consciousness? Well, and that's that's suicidality. That's that's that suicidality, and that's why people, if they don't know that it's a thing, yeah, you know, they they just think they're some kind of freak. Sure. Um, the benefit of being depressed all this time, and I didn't, I didn't come out until my first TED talk. I came out on stage. My wife didn't know, my family, my friends, no idea, any idea how wow. depressed I got or suicidal I'd been. It's just the way I just realized it was the way my brain is wired. Yeah, you know, my wife gets pissed off by something I didn't do something, you know, and she's mad about something. I'm like, well, I can just fuck it, I'll just kill myself. Um, not really a serious thought, but right. uh, <laughs> there are times I worked at a radio station one summer selling ads, voicing ads, writing ads. And I mm -hmm. forgot how innervating a corporate environment you're living in the cube farm can be. The two senior salespeople, people hated me because I could do, I could write, I could voice. I, you know, it was funny. People liked me. And there was another guy came on about the same time I did. We were friends. And I said to him one day, Hey man, you ever have one of those days where you, you can't decide whether to kill yourself, somebody else or both. <laughs> he goes, fucking HR is right there <laughs> <laughs> hey man <laughs> yeah it's it's and mine's not not really not my depression is not really situational i mean it can be triggered by a situation like a bankruptcy but right i've been most depressed in some of the best times in my life mortgage paid off you know no bills yeah. lots yeah. of bookings yeah. and just wretched I, I, had hit my, I had hit the pinnacle of my success. I had a healthy family. I had a wife who loved me. And I just, every day, just wanted to fucking die. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, no, I'm well aware. Um, my wife is way too good looking for me. Um, <laughs> Guilty. Yeah, thank God for low self-esteem. Uh... <laughs> yeah, I always, I I always tell my wife, thank God for the guys you knew before me. All I had to do was fucking show up and not be a dirtbag. Yeah. <laughs> There's a friend of mine on radio said about his success in radio as a manager. He said, my success is based on picking the guy who I, whose place I take, which quit, he didn't really pick him, but he, he always yeah. picked somebody who fucked it up so bad that anything. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so I, you, you just showed us the picture. Clearly exercise is a, is part of how you take care of yourself, but you know, what do you do to take care of yourself? I know you've deal with depression. You're pushing that rock up the hill. What do you, what yep. do you do to keep yourself sane? Well, and I've been doing this by the way, podcast after podcast, talking to neurotypical people who are probably situationally depressed, explain mm -hmm. to them how those of us with mental illness, you know, can get out of bed in the morning every day, even when there's not a pandemic because the world's an uncertain place every day for me, regardless diet I'm on the keto diet and i do intermittent fasting i um, found that really powerful i i just played around with intermittent fasting i got on a 16-8 for a while and it yeah. really does affect your mood it, and it, it, i you know when i when i that's eight percent body fat so i went from 18 to eight percent body fat wow. doing keto it's a good combination of keto and the um and the intermittent fasting and i've done uh one two three four and five day fast wow uh, and i'll probably fast before the contest you know several weeks before the sure. contest um so diet exercise um i don't think you can see this but that that right there that big black thing is part of a nordic track oh yeah yeah you probably don't recognize it because there's no clothes hanging on it um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. we've had some expensive coat racks in our house before <laughs> yeah. I got 50 bands and i walk where we walk the dogs uphill like a mile and then you know back down every day so that's how i begin so mm -hmm. diet good night's sleep 
is restorative. Um, oh, sure. Meditation twice a day is a guided meditation called the cat napper. Takes you mm -hmm. down, brings you back up 29 minutes. And then medication. I take a medication. Um, and I tell people, look, here's the deal. Because a lot of normal people think, you know, if you get on antidepressants, it's a life sentence. No, you just taper off and things get better. Mm -hmm. And if it's not working for you, there's a new DNA cheek swab test for psychotropics. They can match your your, you know, match you with the with the antidepressant works best with your metabolism. Wow. That is what I've been trying. And so I've I've told my um my my problem is that my physician is uh, kind of like the, the Ukrainian, um, your first, you, you, you did not pass your first stress test when you were having heart attack coming up the hill. That's what she told my father-in-law. I mean, she's an awesome person, but she keeps on like wanting to do the, all right, try this one for a while. We'll up it. And then she goes, cause that's a lot cheaper than doing the DNA test, which I'm like, shouldn't I just go ahead and do this DNA test? Cause yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued like by this. this all this shit doesn't work. And, you know, and, and, and the, the, I'd love to try, like, I'm to a point now where, you know, ordering like, um, uh, I don't know. I should probably shouldn't say that. Um, I'm do I'm trying alternative methods where you grow your own things and then you microdose said things because supposedly that shows a ton more, whatever. And, and I guess my question with all this stuff is yeah, what is your advice on all that? What, I mean, like, Cost-wise, uh, the, the test are a couple hundred bucks for the DNA test. Hmm. Insurance hmm. covers it if you cover your deductible generally. Wow. Supposedly, Rite Aid has one for forty or fifty bucks that you oh, buy wow. over the counter. Wow. Um, there's four or five companies that do it. Uh, Gene Sight, G E N E S I T E, I think, or S I G H T. Gene Sight. Just put in, uh, you know, depression medications, DNA, cheek swab. You'll find all the companies. Sure. That's huge. That's huge. Cause like, yeah, I mean, like I'm walking around thinking I'm pretty freaking smart. And uh, this whole time, I'm kind of a dumbass because that sounds real easy. Yeah. Well, and nobody, I've, I've talked to clinicians who have no idea that the cheek swab thing exists. Yeah. Well, you know. He's I like, think my what? psychiatrist is pretty smart. He never brought it up. And I'm on my third antidepressant in the past, you know, year and a half. <laughs> yeah, ask him. Hey, look, isn't there a DNA cheek swab test? We can narrow this down. Pick one. Okay. That's the problem. See, here's the thing about the shrink. Um, and I tell people this, the doctor only knows what the drug salesman told him. Yeah, sure. So that's what I always ask my pharmacist, um, you know, hey, mm. hey Paul, because that's his thing. Should I be mm -hmm. taking this with this and this? Fuck no. <laughs> you trying to kill yourself? Yeah. Well, you know, actually. I do that. <laughs> not today. What do you mean not today? Because I do. I mean, I, I take, uh, um, basically I take like generic Prozac, but I also take um, generic Adderall. So I feel like I'm like Elvis over here, only just, you know, not as, golden voiced but you know going to yeah. going down the same damn road and I, I just feel like really alone in this in that the people that are helping me are helping me from different angles and they don't really they're not talking to each other like my counselor doesn't give me you that's know, that's modern medicine baby that that's the uh, modern medical system in america <laughs> <But> <laughs> motherfucker <laughs> well here's the thing in oregon starting mm -hmm. in 2023 in january uh, psilocybin, the active ingredient in magic mushrooms, yeah. will be legal. Yeah. Huh. And one of my TEDx coaching clients is the head physician for the Canadian military. Huh. And it's legal in Canada. And they've been doing studies, and it's particularly effective on depression, PTSD, and addiction. Yeah. Yeah. 
in small dose, microdoses with serious therapy. And they believe so far with the results they've gotten so far that it's not just a patch. It's Mm. actually a rewire. Right. Which come January 2nd of 2023, I'm going to have already seen my psychiatrist and said, look, you need to, you know, I need to get on that track and start running. So January 2nd, I can start microdosing on this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, let's give how it a does shot. Somebody do, yeah, but how does somebody do that that's like in Arkansas? You know, I mean, like, I'm, I'm, I'm got to know a guy. <laughs> I got to know a guy or grow my own. Uh, fuck it. I'm going to say yeah. it online. Yeah, I've got to go out here and freaking grow my own and try and figure this whole thing out. Why? How is it? Because there is Man, some just, fascinating data. It's it's really it's intriguing true, yeah. and uh, and promising. They, they're they're like on the third level of of testing on it, and they'd say it's got like three or four times the success rate that uh, Prozac does in smaller, much smaller doses over a shorter period of time. Yeah, yeah, without the side effects. And and you see, this is the first time I'm actually talking to somebody. Who says, "Hey, man, you you know, you get off of it, you get to the physical, you know, working out because you know, definitely Glenn and, and all the guys that are in my pocket here are." in my back corner or whatever are pushing you got to get out of the house you know this pandemic's really gotten to you you need to start working out we need to get you you are not a person who can do this shit on your own so get out come over i mean to the gym use me as inspiration i mean you've seen me i've been to the gym three times now (laughs) (laughs) and i feel like you could really use me to inspire you to greater heights Right. Uh, I would say, uh, Sasha, uh, aim higher. Uh, uh, <laughs> we kill myself. Yeah. This no. is not going to end well. <laughs> and, and I, you know, it's a good thing you got guys in your corner. You should have a pit crew. Um, and by the way, if you go to my website, thementalhealthcomedian.com, thementalhealthcomedian.com, uh, the first book in our four book series on men's mental health is there's an mp3 there free download in exchange for an email address i narrate it's about four and a half hours it's a story of 12 guys each one has a different issue and how they're coping Mm. plus a lot of good solid basic information on mental health and coping strategies and exercises and and perfect and so uh, we third book just came out april 8th and we we it was a bestseller in three categories first day Mm. uh in in mental health mental health something that's fantastic that well, is awesome. I mean, because we, I, I tell you what, Edith and I thought we were the only ones trying to do this whole uh, men's mental health thing. Oh, well, that's why we yeah. wrote the books because oh. one of my co authors um, works with first responders doing suicide prevention training. And she wanted to buy a book for one of her guys on men's mental health. And she went to Barnes and Noble, brick and mortar, couldn't find it. Amazon couldn't find it. She thought, yeah. like, we'll write our own. Yeah. So, it's like a chicken soup for the tortured man's soul. It's, you know, that kind of story where, you know, things yeah, are good. We're the Oprah I, for the old white dudes. I've got a friend yeah. who is a, who's a, who's a, a psychological researcher and is working on a book right now. And, you know, I, the publishers are telling him, you know, there's no market for men's mental health, men's help work. And he's like, but there's nothing out there. And like the women oh. have Oprah, they've got Brene Brown. They've got these, you know, like there's no, there's nobody doing that in the mass market. I mean, there's a lot of people doing the work, but. That's why we did it. Um, That's wonderful. I just got, I just got turned down by a podcast. She goes, well, it's a woman. And she goes, most of my, my listeners are women. And I'm not sure that's a, an appropriate topic for women. And I go, yeah, it's not unless they have a brother, a father, a son, a cousin, right. a friend. Yeah. Who happens to have a penis. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 
because <laughs> more women buy the book than men because they got a guy in their life they just can't fucking figure out and yeah that's what, that's what we discovered was you ask men what kind of help they wanted from a woman with their mental illness and we asked women what kind of help they thought men would want and it, like a top 10 list and the lists are completely different Sure. Wow. So there's, sure. there's like men are from Mars, women from Venus speaking different yeah. languages. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. That is, and that is the daily thing with, with my wife and, and just talking to her about, I was like, you know, like this, la just this last week has been a bad week. It just has been for whatever reason. Um, I tell you the truth. I think it's like a cycle of, uh, you know, like hormones or whatever. And my drugs that I take, it hadn't always been like this, but the older I get, I'm, I'm definitely, and also, I'm not drunk and high all the time, so I can, you know, well, pick up on the signals. <laughs> yes, uh, people problem. say self-medication like it's a bad thing. I mean, yeah, um, no, but the my mind cycles. A major depressive disorder has a cycle. Mm -hmm. it, it's, I, I tell people it's like a flat spot on a wheel. It just comes around every now and then. Mm -hmm. And and the good news, and the last three days to three weeks, depending on your metabolism, whatever. I said, the good news is I've had it so long that I know as I begin to spiral down 72 hours later, I'm going to spiral right back up so I can ride it out. But for people yeah. who never experienced it or are young and, and aren't aware there's a cycle, the problem for them is that when you're that depressed, you're thinking in the immediate, always in the immediate, mm -hmm. you can't see beyond the immediate. And you think if it's always going to be this fucking bad, I might as well just go ahead and end it. Because sure. it can't yeah. see it's never going to be any better. I know in three days, yeah, it's coming to an end, but I, because I've been through it so many times that that's so powerful. And I, I heard you say that on another interview and I thought, Oh my God, that's so good. Just because I, I'm new enough in my depression journey that I, I tend to think every, every couple of months, I think, well, shit, I've got this licked. <laughs> yeah, I got this figured Frank, out. He'll call me on that too. He'll call me up, be like, "Hey, man, I kicked its ass." It's yeah, good. I'm great. I'm it great. And great. then, like, it'll roll back. The clouds will roll back in. I'm like, "What the fuck?" Yeah. That's that's when I'm calling him. I thought very very few times. Eh, I heard from Enoch in a minute. Um, well, and and yeah. people that are neurotypical. The and I try to explain this. That's why I did the rock analogy, rolling up the hill every day. Yeah. You know, I told my wife many times, look, if if I wish the whole Vulcan mind melt thing was a thing, mm. so that if you put your hand on my head and I put your hand in your mind to my mind, my mind to your mind, if we could do that and you could mm -hmm. just wander around in there for about five minutes when I'm down, you would mm -hmm. come out fucking screaming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People people go, you should take resilience training. Okay, look, here's the deal. <laughs> <laughs> my suicidal friends are the most resilient people on the fucking planet. If sure. they weren't, they wouldn't still be here. We need sure. to be teaching resilience. Not It's not a matter of strength or resilience or- yeah. It's not a weakness. It's not, no. 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 But you know, it again, neuronormal people have trouble wrapping their mind around how things would be that bad. It's so true. It, it's just, yeah, you can't, really you can't see inside somebody else's head. And it's, it's hard if you've never experienced anything like that to get a grip on what that's like. And so, empathy is definitely not something that is, you know, pushed like IQ. EQ is not, I mean, we know about it, obviously, yeah. but it's not pushed. It's not well, like, hey, this, you need to learn this. It's like less than art class. <laughs> and sympathy is easy. Empathy, and Brene Brown says, sympathy is I feel sorry for you. Empathy is I feel sorry with you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when I tell all this, I said, look, I'm so, she said this, 
elegantly. I've said it many times, different ways, but same idea. <laughs> she said, I'm so comfortable in my darkness. I can sit with you comfortably in yours. Oh, that's so good. Ooh. Yeah. Oh. And I've had, I had a young woman at Lynchburg College after I did a 45 minute keynote. She comes up, she goes, can I give you a hug? And I'm it's right the the, the height of the Me Too movement. I'm like, everybody yeah. got a fucking video camera. I'm like, oh, oh God. Gotta, yeah, you got to do oh, it like God. Keanu. Here we go. You do it like Keanu. You got to put yeah. your hand Front where they page of the paper, you know, speaker <laughs> ropes, co-ed. <laughs> Quarantine <laughs> guy, cops a feel. Yeah, so I gave, her, I gave her a really brotherly, pushing my pelvis back as far as I could hug. Yeah, yeah. And I said to her, are you a hugger? She goes, no, I'm not a hugger. I go, okay, well, what was that all about? She goes, well, I've been in therapy for two years. And the woman who's the therapist is very talented. She's got the, you know, the diplomas on the wall. I mean, she knows her shit, but she has absolutely no context as to what I'm going through. I'm sitting in the back of the room, 15 minutes into your little keynote. I'm thinking this guy's inside my fucking head. Hmm. She goes, you helped me more in 45 minutes than she has helped me in two years. Wow. Because I hear the same music. I, I, I you know, I have context. I, I, you yeah. know, I, I see I, that banner. I see you that get it. Yeah, it. Line across. That's why when I do a Q and A at the end of the keynote, I go, "Look, if you got a question you don't want to ask in front of everybody, like, hey, I'm batshit crazy. Can you help?" <laughs> that's what I said. That's my fucking line. Yeah. I'll I'll hang out and I'll answer each question individually, and and I have to allow an extra half an hour at least because sometimes there's eight people lined up with a story, want to share, want to wow. talk, want to relate, and sometimes they tell me stuff that. They have never, there's a guy in San Diego, 69 years old. He said to me, Frank, I have, I believe I have what you have. And I said, chronic suicidal ideation. He goes, yeah. And he goes, I've never told anybody that in 69 years, not even my therapist. Wow. Well, you know why? Because in California, if you say that out loud to a therapist, they're bound by law. It's called a 50-51 is the the number in the law. Mm -hmm. Take you in front of a judge and see if you're going to get a three-day involuntary detention order. Oh, Jesus. So he doesn't tell them. Yeah. yeah, because he's afraid. See, if we could talk about these things out loud, mm. if I could say this stuff out loud, which I do, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, more people would live, I think, if they felt they could give voice to it without freaking people out. Well, I, I mentioned earlier, I'm a physician and, and physicians in particular are not it, you are not rewarded for being honest about your mental health struggles. In fact, you oh, are God. severely punished. You know, yeah. like you, you, you're signing paperwork, you're, you're registering with the medical board, you're maybe going to classes, you're, you could kill your career just by yes. being honest, even if you have, you know, like minor, it, it doesn't have to be anything all that crazy to really affect your career, which one is a great way that, to get people to hide. <laughs> one, of the, one of the reasons that Veterinary Medical Association of Washington hired me, um, I spoke for him twice. First time they hired me was they'd never had a non-veterinarian or a non, they'd never had anybody who was not from the licensing board huh. speak on mental health. Well, when they would do a mental health breakout, uh-huh. a dozen people showed up because nobody wants to be seen going into a room with a licensing official yeah. to listen to how I'm going to improve my mental health. Cause you know, again, it can be career limiting. Yeah. So when they booked me to do it, there were people hanging from the fucking ceiling because I can't take their money. They can ask me whatever they want to ask me. Yeah, right. Yeah, and so that's... And I think one, it's, of my, one of my TEDx clients is a physician, anesthesiologist, 40 years. Uh, one of our first jobs, they asked her on the application, do you have any of these mental illnesses? And she did, she checked, no. Have you ever taken these medications? No. 
and she came off in case they urine tested her. Wow. And two months later, she's standing on the railing of a bridge about to jump in a river. Jesus Christ. Because she knew that if she put yes in anywhere on there, mm-hmm. done. I'm done. One physician a day dies by suicide every day in the U.S. It's it's awful. Yep. So, and physicians uh, in particular, you know, we know how to heal people. We know how to end people too. And and there's some data showing that the time from when a physician decides to kill themselves to when they do it is measured in an order of minutes. Veterinarians. Just, yeah. Uh, veterinarians, um, because they handle barbiturates, mm. 75% of suicides among veterinarians, they use barbiturates. And the general population between 19 and 25%. But they're, and they're used to doing the anesthesia. I'm sorry, the, the um, you know, um, in the light, uh, yeah, putting the dog down, putting the dogs in, yeah, yeah, euthanasia. euthanasia. And so they just wait, everybody leaves and they hook, you know, take the pink needle and they find the next morning gone. Yeah. Um, so, well, I think it's I think it's beautiful that you've taken your talents and really found your why. I think I think it's such a powerful thing. I, I'm I'm really strongly influenced by Viktor Frankl and the idea of finding purpose in life and and how how important that is for us to to just feel fulfilled. And I think it's wonderful that you found your purpose. It's really and it's really important. And I think it's great. Yeah, and I I would like to take this time as well to say it's just just like you said it's it's just so nice and it's so. Um, rewarding. It's so just perfect uh, just to hear, you know, somebody out there like you putting names to things and coping with the same things and giving just like these little bitty granules of, uh, of wisdom and like, Hey, you know, you're not alone. It's not yeah. going to necessarily be okay, but. <laughs> well, and the, um, you know, also seek to change what people have in their mind. They have an image of, what mental health, mental illness looks and sounds like. Mm-hmm. And they're looking at a guy on stage, a comedian, obviously a 20 year writer for the Tonight Show, 35 years doing stand up, mm-hmm. high functioning. And it just doesn't really jibe with what most people see mm-hmm. as, and also as a guy to come out and be vulnerable. You know, I was yeah. in the Brene Brown's book on vulnerability. And about halfway through, she's talking about, you know, how it's her superpower. And I thought, fuck me, that's it. That's why. Mm-hmm. The impact is there. It's a guy where, you know, we don't normally talk about those things out loud. Big, you know, Arkansas, I was raised in North Carolina. Big boys don't cry. Mm-hmm. The official name <laughs> is toxic masculinity. Right. And it's not just mental. Uh, guys wait too long to get the PSA test, to have a colonoscopy. Well, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It, I, I have two friends in the last year. One died of um, colon cancer. One died of prostate cancer. It's awful. There's no excuse for dying of prostate cancer. No, yeah. I get Enoch to try and check me every year and he still has refused. I mean, I've been going after this since like college. So I don't, you know, it's you reach you out never for bring help, enough though. liquor, buddy. Yeah, next year, you reach next out for year help, make... you know, you're supposed to be helping. Yeah, uh, position. I went to my urologist for my every six month checkup to get the digital exam from the PA. And I, sure. I, somewhere I had seen that the retail on that was $895. And so we have insurance, so copay. But I said to the, the receptionist, I go, do you know what the retail is on this thing? You know, the digital exam? And she goes, no. I said, it's $895. I said, you know, there's two guys downtown Eugene right now who'd pay me for that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I've been to Eugene. It's good times. Oh, oh man. man. 
Well, Frank, you've been so generous with your time. Thank you for coming on the show. Um, yeah, just for anybody out there who might be struggling or know somebody who they think is struggling, what's, what's your advice? What do you think they should do? Uh, I'll pull the fucking trigger. And, um, <laughs> quit fucking around. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Quit whining and pull that trigger. Uh, yeah, but make sure it's loaded with federal hydroshock hollow points, you know, cause you don't want to, you know, don't want to mess around and be like, yeah, oh, sure. yeah. yeah, you yeah. don't want to fuck it up. We, we, I meet when, when we could, couldn't meet for coffee back in the day, I, I had a, a crazy coffee clutch. We had like half a dozen of us and three or four would always gather and mm-hmm. we go in there, take our game faces off and be ourselves for an hour. Mm-hmm. And one morning we're talking too loud about somebody who jumped off a building that was six stories high. And I said, six fucking stories? No way. I mean, you could, you could limp away from that. Um, <laughs> I'm going 10. The girl next to me goes, I, I'd do a dozen easy. I wanted to hit terminal velocity before I hit the pavement. <laughs> the, guy, the guy behind me is just. Because <laughs> that's how people talk, you know, talk to that. No, I would say um, the um, couple of resources, NAMI, National Alliance of Mental Illness, NAMI has a chapter in just about every county in the country. Everything they do is free, peer counseling, family family counseling. Uh, they're a great resource. Um, if you're interested in mental health, mentalhealthfirstaid.org mm-hmm. has an eight hour class, adult class and youth class, adult mental illness, youth mental illness. It's like 25 bucks, maybe, mm-hmm. usually sometimes free. And it's mm-hmm. a great primer, you know, mental health 101. If you have a loved one, you want to learn signs, symptoms, resources, what to say, what not to say, what to do and not to do. That's great. Um, and my phone number is 858-405-5653, 5653 and I put it on the screen every time I speak. And I say to the audience, look, if you're suicidal, call the Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Or if you're younger, there's a text line. Text the word HELP to 741-741. I said, but you're just having a really shitty day? Call a crazy person. Here's my cell number. And, and people call, you know, once every week or two. This young guy called one time, sounded young. And he, he goes, I can't believe this is your real number. I go, how fucking bad karma would that be? <laughs> Call the number if you're in trouble. They get a said, pizza I'll make, I'll make it worse. I'll make it worse for you. When you call, you get put on hold. Hold, please. And then the on hold music is another one bites the dust. Oh, <laughs> ouch! It's like a Don't fear the reaper. <laughs> yeah, oh, I was on Facebook the other day, and somebody said, "What's your favorite song? What's your theme song?" And I put "Don't fear the reaper." And again, you get this. What? Oh, <laughs> yeah. What was your biggest accomplishment this week? I got out of fucking bed. Because uh, <laughs> sometimes you just can't resist, you know. Yeah. Low hanging fruit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it is. It's true. Like you, you. Uh, sometimes you feel like you're wearing this mask all day long, oh, yeah. day after day, and sometimes it just slips. <laughs> yeah. When I when I get tired, you know, and when I you know I just don't I just. And I've surrounded myself as as Sasha talked about people who know what I deal with. My mm-hmm. workout partner one day said to me, "How you doing?" I go, "I'm wretchedly depressed and suicidal." He goes, "What does that look like?" I said, "Well, remember when you're 18 years old and every other thought you had was about you know women." Mm-hmm. And he goes, well, "What's your every other thought? Going back to bed, pulling the covers over my head, binge watching the second season of The Mandalorian on Disney Plus." <laughs> that's that's why i love yeah. living in oregon because in the middle of winter the sun goes down at eight o'clock uh, i'm sorry the sun goes down at four o'clock in the afternoon and if it's dark man it's it's socially acceptable to go to bed <laughs> it's bedtime baby yeah, yeah. <laughs> until eight the next morning it's perfect wow 
Yeah. Yeah. So, well, guys, um, you know, it's um, been a been a strange pleasure. <laughs> you know, we get that a lot. Yeah, a lot. We kind of thought we would. We, th- we kind of thought with you, it'd be a little different, but uh, <laughs> no, no, it's not. Not when I said, "Is this PG thirteen or is it?" <laughs> well, Frank, we really enjoyed it. Thanks again for coming on the podcast. So much, and uh, thank you. Yeah, so we'll much, make sure sir. and put uh, links to uh, where people can find you in the show notes. And, yeah, put the phone uh, number in there too. And Sasha, you know, if you're ever shitty day, uh, as a friend of mine says. Um, I, what I tell the audience is, depending on the audience, I go, look, here's the deal. If you're suicidal, call the lifeline. If you're having a bad day, call a crazy person. And all I'm going to do is co-sign whatever bullshit you're wading through. <laughs> <laughs> you know, no suggestions. Yep. No, you should be doing. No, <laughs> have you tried fish oil? Uh, <laughs> fish oil. <laughs> yeah, trust me. Uh, you should try fish oil. My uncle got off, off all his antidepressants and antipsychotic drugs. He's on fish oil. I wouldn't go by and spend the night at his house. No. <laughs> Wake up with a bullet in your chest. Uh, yeah. So it, yeah, I mean, I don't quite, always talk quite this freely about those things, but you know. Well, that's great, it's man. Appreciate thanks, it. Sir. Thanks for bringing it. We love it. And uh, yeah, awesome. have a great day. Yeah, guys, uh, and let, send me a link when it goes up, and I'll absolutely. Yeah. Well, I don't know with all the fucking. Maybe <laughs> I'll I'll be selective where I put. It. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, it might not go on LinkedIn. Probably on my personal page. I'm totally just, fair. Totally hey, fair. Just, just play a part of it during your next TEDx. That's all we ask. <laughs> and uh, Sash, uh, you know, uh, uh, offer stands. If you have a shitty day, just give me give me a holler. You know, again, I'm not cool. gonna. You know, I'm just gonna go sign whatever bullshit you're waiting. Through. I appreciate that, Frank. It's that's that's all. Yeah, yeah. Because your friends always go, well, "Call me if you." You know, no. If I'm gonna blow my fucking yeah. brains out, I'm not calling. I don't no. want to. No, I'm not calling I talk you. To you. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't. When you're I was the reason. You're the reason I want to fucking blow my brains out. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I have. You know, I've said that before out loud. So and so and so and, so, and, and uh, I, I want to open a fucking vein, and everybody knows. They're like, "What?" I go, "I'm." <laughs> It's hyperbole. I'm kidding. It's oh. a figure of speech. Yes. Isn't it? <laughs> They're not ever quite sure, right? Yeah. Have you ever been to that bridge up the 126 in Oregon? No, but I thought about jumping off it a couple of times. Uh, <laughs> all right, guys. All right. Have a good one, man. Thank you, sir. We'll see you. Bye. Well, folks, that's it for today's episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you learned something. God knows we always do. Don't forget to subscribe so you can continue to follow along on this journey. And please join us. Let's get better together. Or at the very least, 10% less shitty. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and now Clubhouse at True Brody Sattva. That's true, T-R-U. And don't forget to check in at our blog, thebrodysattva.com keep up to date on what's going on in our world. As always, this show is written by Enoch Daniel and Sosh Woodbine and produced by me. And special thanks to Scott Holmes, who wrote our theme music. Until next time, keep working, keep seeking, and keep living that Brody Sattva life. Bye now.